Hello. Welcome to episode number 31 of People are laughing here in the room <laughs> because I always forget. It's episode number 31 of CXO Talk. I'm Michael Krigsman, and I'm here with my absolutely delightful co-host, Mr. Vala Offshore. Vala, Michael, great seeing you. It's good to see you again. See you as well. It's been a long time. Yes, it has. <laughs> and today we have an extra special show. It's themed because this has been the week that Educause, which is the major conference for higher ed technology, takes place. Yeah, I was very disappointed I couldn't attend Educause, but it is uh, the most prestigious higher ed conference in the U.S., and we are very fortunate to have three of the most social CIOs in all of higher ed joining us on CXO Talk today. Yeah, it's pretty extraordinary. So we have we have three CIOs with us today. Uh, we have Phil Kamarni from Seton Hill University, Steve DiFilippo from Cecil College, and Kelly Walsh from the College right. of Westchester. Gentlemen, how are you? Good. Great. Good. So uh, starting with Phil, why don't you briefly introduce yourselves? Uh, briefly, I am, my name is Phil Kamarni. I'm the Vice President, Chief Information Officer for Seton Hill University. We're a small liberal arts school right outside of Pittsburgh, and we went all in with Mobile Social Cloud back in 2010. Hello, Phil. Hey, Vala. <laughs> and Steve. Yes, uh, my name is Steve DeFilippo. I'm the Vice President and Chief Information Officer at Cecil College, which is a small community college in northern Maryland. We border Delaware and southern Pennsylvania, so it actually makes us a regional college. We do pull students from those adjoining states, um, so it's a small community college. And last but not least, Mr. Kelly Walsh. Hi, I'm a CIO at the College of Westchester in White Plains, New York. We're a small pi private school. I'm also the founder and author of EmergingEdTech.com, a blog and website where I blog about instructional technologies and, and learn about them and share that learning journey. And a daily stop on my daily journey on the internet. So thanks. Awesome. Thanks. Fantastic. Well, we're honored to have three CIOs. It's hard to get you guys, you CIOs, uh, it's hard to get you together. In one really? place. <laughs> on a Friday, too. Especially on a Friday <laughs> afternoon. Uh, all right, right. Well, I'm really uh, proud to have the opportunity to speak with you. Uh, I, I recently uh, published a Huffington Post of the top 50 most social CIOs in the country, and you are amongst one, two, and three. So our audience, myself and others, want to know your journey, how you started, and why you invest in... Uh, in, in, in social media to, 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 and the benefits that you see as a CIO. And I'll start with Phil and then, and then Steve and then Kelly. Well, I mean, I've been doing it for about, well, I don't know my exact start date, my, my egghead date, but it was, it's, been, it's been at least a year and a half, almost two years, that I really use it daily like I do now. But uh, it's, uh, I think it's just a curated news feed. It's a curation of like, information with like-minded uh, colleagues that I have access to and it, you know I used to have to go to Google and search these things out and now I can actually you know go in there and look at a, 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 a group of people that I, I, I value and be able to be able to socially read and understand information at a different a different rate uh, I've read a lot more since I've been doing this plus it's like I think it's a knowledge amplifier it really it does it amplifies everything we do because I get to see it from not just my perspective but maybe Steve will add, add a perspective Vala, Michael, everybody, Kelly could give you a different look at that information and 
make better decisions. So, I mean, I use it for, for learning is really why, I, why I'm really interested in Twitter and, and the networking capability of it. Yeah, you had an acronym, or you, you called it uh, Personal Learning Network. Oh, yeah, it definitely did. It creates a, a really good personalized learning network where the, you can, you know, you, you value these people and you value their opinions. It's really easily, easy to get that sentiment very quickly with, with Twitter, and it's, been a, it's, a, it's, it's a very valuable part of my daily routine now. So. How, how long did you have the egghead avatar before you actually oh, put geez. a picture? I'm embarrassed. I probably <laughs> had it for a while. I did. I didn't, I didn't understand it. I, 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 I like everybody else. Everybody gets into this mode like you tell them to twi use Twitter, and they're like, what, do I gonna, what am I going to do with that? But then, you know, I've done some presentations here on campus for our faculty and our staff to make them understand it's not, it's not narcissism, it's not egotism, egotism, it's not your ego. It's really about, and it's not yelling in a coffee shop. Think, people sure. think that's what, it's, that's what it results in, and it's so, not. It's really a curated news. And, so, so, Steve, what's the value? You, you, you spend a fair amount of time on social media, and why? Why do you, I mean, you must be a pretty busy guy. Why do you spend the time? Um... Well, first, I, I've had a mediated involvement, um, you know, an interest in mediated communication uh, my, for my entire life. And back in the 70s, um, when I was a master's, getting my master's degree at New York University, um, you know, I was involved in holography and, and all kinds of mediated mass communication. So I've had a lifelong interest in anything that lets me expedite um, or enhance or better engage an audience or expedite communication. So. Um, that, that sort of set the, the foundation so when things of the social networking, social media came along, it was a very natural um, adoptive process for me. Um, the other thing I do is I study ecosystems. So I'm very interested in not just the technology or the shiny object on the floor, but how can you really um, best understand how that enhances the communication process, um, what are the pros and cons, where does it take something away, how, how does it disrupt an existing process. Um, so in terms of my own time, um, because I have a proclivity for all this, uh, I don't see it as an intrusion on my time, and because I leverage the tool sets available to me, like you know, being able to select what comes through my cell phone from my Twitter stream or my Google Plus stream or my LinkedIn stream, um, you know, I don't mind the, the immediacy of a disruption, and I can get a tweet back or a quick retweet um, or do a quick response on Google Plus and just move on. So I, I can be walking down the hall, I'll step aside. Uh, it just happens right. all day long from 4 o'clock in the morning until close to midnight. Mm. And, and, and Kelly, for you, so, uh, being engaged in social media, is there actually a benefit to IT and improving IT performance? I mean, that is, that's your job. Or is it more just kind of fun? Well, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting question, particularly in terms of the way I came about it. Uh, I was driven to get involved in this and leverage these kinds of tools because when I came into the CIO, CIO role at the school about five, five and a half years ago, I had been in um, more traditional businesses prior to that, and I was particularly fascinated by the instructional uses of technology. And it wasn't, and I think in many places, it's not necessarily a very standard part of the of the role. Uh, you know, we have to deal with the typical keeping the lights on and all of the CIO responsibilities that are, are normal in any business. Um, but here there's this interesting twist of, well, how is it being used in the classroom? How is it being used in learning? 
and I was fascinated by that idea. And so I kind of stepped, uh, you know, I made an effort on my own to start learning about that. I started the blogging, leveraging a lot of different social media tools to have uh, an ongoing conversation, you know, much like Phil and Steve alluded. And it does become um, pretty organic after a while to use these media streams, um, incoming and outgoing. And that was really the impetus for me. It was an opportunity to learn about instructional technologies, force my hand at learning that. And the beauty of it is there's so much natural synergy with everything else you're learning, uh, you know, not just traditional um, IT focus, but even things like understanding how social media plays a role in marketing and having that dialogue with the marketing folks. Uh, and just so many different ways it's uh, becoming a part of what everybody's doing and thinking. Phil, can you talk about the power of collaboration uh, in your campus in terms of perhaps improving student retention, student acquisition, like bringing students and faculty and administration closer together? I know you're 100% mobile campus mm -hmm. and, and social and mobile. Which fuels the other it can be debated, but certainly we are in this connected world, hyper-connected world. Sure. Talk about some benefits of collaboration in terms of the, the user experience and perhaps targeting stu on students. Attention. Well, I, I, when I think of social, I don't think of just people. I think people and data together. So interacting with data in, a, in an environment with people. So in, in, that, in that regard, think of student retention. We'll put that in that context. Is we, had, we, we deployed a, since we're mobile and social and we have an all cloud-based infrastructure here, our, our portal overarches all of our ERP systems. So we use it as an application layer to develop apps that mash data up to make our, our org a lot more streamlined toward, towards what our business wants to produce. And uh, one of the big you know, driving factors is student retention. So well, the way we answered that was we created a way through our portal as our, as our professors log into our portal from their podiums. They're able to look on their iPads, see the class graphically, each person's picture, face. It also tells them a little bit of information about each student, like what type of uh, devices they do have that we've issued to them, what version of iPad, do they have a camera or don't they, things like that. But we took it a step further and allowed the, 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 the faculty member to just touch the person's face and it would let them add an alert. Maybe the, the student's not progressing well in the class or not attending or, or something's going haywire. As that person submits that, it's socially uh, put out to the rest of the faculty. They're just teaching that fa that student that semester, and they get sediment right then and there if there's a problem. So before that student leaves the classroom, usually the dean of students knows about it. What's there might be an issue, and we're proactively engaging with that student before they leave. So we're looking at, you know, intention retention increases over time of you know almost in the double digits now, which is that's a that's a very good good way to look at how we've taken data and people together, socialized it to create a a new process that speaks to uh, a very big issue here on mo most campuses of re retention. So that's how you know we've kind of used our mobile, our mobility, our our, our cloud layer, mm -hmm. and then you know throwing social in the mix really does give you a new language to speak and engage your organization with, and that's how we've how we've approached it. So are either of the the other two CIOs are are you seeing a connection? between social media and collaboration technologies with student acquisition, student retention, which is really gets to the lifeblood of the economics yep. of higher education. Yeah, at, at Cecil College, we're using it on the front end, so to speak. So we're doing, we're using it for um, admissions and for student recruitment. So that was the first sort of threshold for the college in terms of using social. 
Um, and they've been using that extensively because that's the traditional age student, the 17 or 18 year old in high school making the decision about college. So we've leveraged Facebook, we've leveraged Twitter, um, they're using Pinterest, they're using Instagram. So we're engaging the students as much as we can, as frequently as we can, on their turf, so to speak. So that was the first place we really stepped off the curb with social media. And I was helping to champion that process, but I let the staff and, and, and the folks who run that and know that process better to really use, utilize that. We're now just about to bring on board two-way texting. Hmm. So that um, rather than relying on email, which most of the data tells us students don't really look at, we're now leveraging the opportunity to to reach out to students via text and then have them reach back to us immediately using two-way texting protocols. The other thing we've done, which is fairly novel as I understand it, is we've taken the application to attend college and we have embedded it into Facebook. And we've done it using a technology that allows us to maintain a level of security of data transmission, but while students still log into their Facebook account, they can navigate their way over to the CECL admissions uh, page and complete the, the application while they're still, in theory, laying in bed in the morning or having breakfast or whatever. So they don't have to exit Facebook, go to another web page, another website, and sort of authenticate there or whatever. We're, we're bringing ourselves, or positioning ourselves where they hang out, as Phil said, in the coffee shop or around the corner or wherever, in the student lounge. They can access us um, however they want, and we are mobile first and social always. Hey, Stephen. I have a question for him. How how is that looking over time? How long have you been doing Facebook? Is that is that demographic still there? Because what I've been look, you know, our rep metric says Facebook Facebook is kind of dying with our demographic of students. Yeah, it's, you know, I think that's a real good point because it, we can look at things like the Pew American Life Research and other colleges and what their demographics are coming back and what their 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 statistics are telling them and their their research. But I really think it's cultural, and that has to do with the local culture. So we're a rural community college. Oh, that's right. By all U.S. Census data, we're rural, even though we're between Philadelphia and Washington, D.C., along the I-95 corridor. It's really a rural community. So our cultures, our norms are going to be a little bit different. So while 98% of our students have smartphones, um, hmm. we're finding they're still engaging us on Facebook, less on Twitter, yeah. uh, mostly on Facebook. You, you know, I love hearing about things like uh, when, somebody, when somebody says that they're doing things online to, in effect, meet and have a dialogue and collaborate with the customer where the customer lives. Right. Yeah, Wait, you know, one of the, um, to add to uh, Stephen's comment about the texting, we, uh, we put that in place um, early this year, the ability for our staff to reach out and text the students. One of the keys there uh, in terms of being comfortable with that process um, from the data, the perspective of where's the information, where's it going, and can we not have, um, you know, a rogue staff member doing something kind of on their own where there's no accountability in terms of that texting piece, we tied it right into our student information system. So the stream of texting that happens is stored permanently in archive, and that really raised the comfort level as an institution with doing that. Um, and, and, you know, right to your point, it's this is how they're used to communicating, and everybody wants this. Everybody at the college wants to be able to do this because they know it works, and they know that that's a lot what a lot of students are comfortable with in terms of how they want to communicate. Do you believe... If I can jump you know, piggyback on Kelly for a second. Sure. His point's well taken. We want to, we want to understand that the faculty uh, may have a different sort of um, social norm in terms of their interaction with 
social media, texting, things of that nature. So we're trying to uh, make things easier for the faculty. So in terms of the texting component, um, we use Blackboard as our learning management system. And we've just implemented or are in the process of implementing a new tool set that they're providing to us that allows faculty to text a student, a group of students, or the entire class while the faculty member is still logged into Blackboard. They don't have to exit Blackboard and go to Twitter or some other tool set. It all happens um, right inside of, 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 a, um, of an environment they're already comfortable with. So it's, it's, it's clear that better connections are leading to better experiences for your student faculty administration. How has social and collaboration improved the perception of IT within your institution? I know, Phil, when you started as the CIO, there was, um, and I hope it's okay for me to tell the story, yeah, but there was a survey of all the various functions within Seton Hill, mm -hmm. and the IT department didn't score so well. We were um, last. Last. Okay, well, last. you said that. I'll say it. We're 11 out of 11. We're 11. 11 we're out of 11. And, yep. um, and, and you walk in there and you bring a spirit of collaboration and wanting feedback. And right. again, you're, you're, you're one of the most active um, social CIOs that I know. Do you believe social? Oh, by the way, where are you now on the survey? What, what survey? Oh, your survey? Well, oh, that's uh -huh. what survey? What time? We're talk, uh -huh. What survey are you talking about, Bob? How does IT rate? How does IT oh, oh, we're number one. We're, so we you went, went from, from 11, first. right? You went one, from 11 to one in, right. in what time period? In a year and a half. Year yeah. and a half. Right. So it's awesome. really, it is all around socializing the that whole that whole process. And it was it was a fight with my people. I mean, my staff. It was they were really wedded to Numara Track. It was the name of, that was the that was the program. It was very you know it's client server based. It was very closed, but it was more of the the old, we're going to come in and fix something for you and we're going to leave. And that's that's what I wanted to get away from. I want to fix your relationship with that computer. I don't care about the hardware anymore. They're, they're, yeah, that's, that's easy to fix. It's I want to make your relationship with our with our network and our wireless and our, and our, 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 our platform that solid. And that's how we kind of positioned ourselves. So we had to take, get tools that would do that. So we went with uh, Zendesk, which is cloud-based and completely social and in, in, in literally almost overnight, the perception of what we do here changed like that. Just because we open the doors and accept uh, criticism, accept the accolades as well. So it's, but it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great environment to do that in. So the biggest challenge you had was internal to IT in terms yep. of wanting to um, you know, yep. uh, embrace this social transformation. Hardest silo to break your own. It really is, and it's uh, it was it was a hard process. But I mean, we still have the fight. Not fight, but it's uh, we're we're about ninety percent cloud based right now with uh, so, one ERP system left, and it's still those fights still happen. But it's 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 a it's a it's a good conversation to have. So we're having conversations. That's a good. So thing. this digital transformation, then a lot of it has to do with uh, the mindset. I mean, you've been talking about technology, but it sounds like underlying it has been the issue of, of uh, more openness, right. better, more being receptive to collaboration, to right. taking criticism. How about, uh, gentlemen from the, the other schools, Kelly, what's your experience with this? Well, yeah, we, you know, we're interfacing with practically everyone because technology is touching everybody in their jobs. That's right. So the more effective we can, the more effectively we can communicate, the better we're going to do. 
Uh, and obviously these social media tools are great ways to communicate when you give people the option to consume information in multiple ways and to be open in multiple ways. And they're a great way to um, you know, essentially advertise what you're doing, raise awareness, and be more transparent. So have you noticed, uh, ha so can, can actually can you describe some of the, the benefits that have come about, the practical benefits? Uh, sure. Uh, the, when I joined the school, there was uh, considerable room for improvement in terms of perception of how IT offered their services, and you know some of those things that Phil was talking about. The idea of you know we shouldn't be back there in the back office, and people need to feel that we're accessible when needed, and we're willing to help them. We're there to service them. Some of that has to do with just a great service mentality, but some of it has to do with uh, also making yourself available and continuing to look to improve on their experience. And social media can play uh, a lot of a role uh, in, in those types of things, as well as us just being there to help support their uses of social media. And as the organization gets more and more comfortable with using it to reach out to all our constituents, um, we're really uh, ultimately helping to facilitate many of the goals of the college. But and Steve, can you talk a little bit about digital transformation? What does that mean? You know, it's this buzzword that we hear, mm -hmm. and sometimes people confuse social media with more uh, deeper underlying digital transformation. So, what is all the help sort of sort this out for us? Well, that's the sixty-four thousand dollar question. <laughs> that's why we asked you. Thank you. Well, hopefully, I have a seventy thousand dollar answer. Um, the concept of digital transformation, we, we take a very um, organic approach on our, on our campus. So our president, from our board of trustees down, promotes um, a culture of innovation, uh, a culture of calculated risk, if you will. So there's, a, there's some latitude for those of us who are in leadership roles. Actually, anybody can step up and take on the leadership role um, and initiate a project, and we pilot a project. Um, and, and it transcends the whole campus community. And it goes beyond just the campus community, but the community community. So there's a, a high level of engagement around what works and trying new things to be innovative. And in a lot of cases, that's something that is technology driven or technology based. So then that, that becomes a sort of a form of digital transformation across the campus. So whether it's social media um, or whether it's um, flipping a classroom or using portfolio management tools for our, our photography classes or our um, special robotics and special types of things that are happening in a physics lab where we're driving things more digitally than, than in the physical world. I think it's, it, it just transcends the entire campus. And, and it's, I think it's incumbent upon us to both, one, have an appreciation for an understanding of digital skills, 21st century skills, if you will, um, and then be able to make sure that we're providing our students the opportunity to acquire those skills so that they can become digitally proficient. So that when they go out to the workplace, which similar to, you know, we all are aware that's becoming more and more um, digitally adept, um, that they have the right kinds of skills to walk in the front door and, and step up to a kiosk, a computer, or some interface, and at least be comfortable with what they're facing. So I think, you know, that is a $64,000 question. We, we consider all dangers to find digital. But I think we have to pay attention to the fact that it's touching us all, as Kelly said, um, and just respond to that in a way that's organic, again, for, for what we do. I think um, in, in hearing some of these conversations, culture eats strategy every day. So if you're not paying attention to your culture, 
um, you can get lost in the shiny object on the floor. So we're a small shop. We don't use, inside of our IT department, we don't use social media because we're high touch. Um, so we're, there's a lot of interpersonal interaction. Um, so, you know, we, we, social transcends Twitter and Facebook and, and, and the technologies. We're social when we wake up in the morning despite the fact that we're human beings. So we look at it at a very high level. And digital trans transcends social. Sure. Right? Is that a reasonable sure. way to say it? It is a reasonable way. Yes. You know, digital transformation, I think, is a, it's, it's a fusion of mobile, social, cloud, data, certainly app economy, and all tied to the user experience that all three of you right. CIOs are focused. I know in the enterprise, part of digital transformation is use of, use of and modernization of customer relationship management, CRM tools. Uh, today's modern CRM tools have embedded community capabilities, social analytics capabilities. They're all mobile form factors and give the insight that the business needs to deliver the right content at the right time across the right channel to customers. I want to know, are universities and colleges focusing on CRM technologies to better understand the needs of the stakeholders, students, faculty, and administration. I'll start with you, Phil. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. We, we haven't really, we've been basically baking our own into our portal. We're extending that out into that, into that uh, environment as well and using, uh, linking it back into our ERP system so we don't have to, uh, we can expose data and allow it to flow between the two. That allows us to get a real good uh, visualization of what's going on out, out there in the, in the field between our you know, our mission staff, our coaches, anybody out there high touch with the students, we're able to catalog all those events through an iPad, through, you know, a touch interface. I don't have to train anybody anymore. They can just mm -hmm. deliver them, you know, deliver the interface on an iPad. They go out and they're able to go out in the field and have actually the data they need to see when they need it. So those, those type of, that's, you know, we, it, taking a process that's digital and making it one right. step better, and that's kind of where we live. And I think that that's where IT can become a really big value driver for any organization. We do touch all those different orgs, and in our my I think my strength here is really knowing those business lines and trying to bring them all together and make that into a cohesive uh, you know application that can service all of them at once if we can. So we try to do those second and third levels of transformation on every every time somebody brings us something. We want to know how it's going to touch the rest of the organization, and we really focus on that student's experience. So every one of our business processes that we, we have, are currently you know, changing, we're not looking at the business process, and we are, but we're really looking at the end of the day, how is it going to affect the student? And I think that's a really powerful thing now in education that IT directors or I, people in IT can have that type of influence and that type of uh, vision into the, into the organization and really uh, help it move forward. But you're really you're really talking about uh, CRM plus. This is, right. this, yeah. this is not just the management using CRM to manage salespeople. Um, Steve or Kelly, what are what are you doing with, if anything, with CRM and extending it, as Phil was talking, into actual relationships and collaboration, going beyond just standard. CRM transactions, so to speak. Yeah, it, it's a really uh, interesting thing to put together uh, the idea of traditional CRM and then talk about social media because I think almost organically um, they've they've started to be similar to each other, overlap. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's happening with so many tools where there is similar functionality in different tool sets. 
Um, so we're we've been looking at the traditional CRM, the front end, you know, what used to be called customer relationship management and is now more commonly referred to as constituent relationship management yeah. uh, for quite a while and we've recently transitioned to a new tool on the front end but at the same time in our relationships with how we interact with everybody who, who, who uh, you know, is our constituents, uh, for example, um, in our career placement area, you know, we're a career-focused school. We pride ourselves on our ability to make sure people are getting to work when they graduate and um, staying employed long-term or, or moving on a um, further education. And right. we use a wide variety of tools there, and it's only grown in terms of ways in which students can be made aware of job uh, opportunities, for example. Uh, what you, years ago used to be kind of one place, one way. Now it's available on an intranet portal. Uh, they can sign up through Aweber to get email. Um, notifications through newsletters and that was something that came about because of my experience with the Aweber doing what I was doing blogging and uh, there's so many cases where one bit of knowledge feeds another and then you think of new ways to use these tools and open up the possibilities for communication. Right. Yeah you know in, in, in business you know to, in the enterprise today with CRM the social analytic tools that exist there the social listening tools for modern CRM solutions so CRM plus uh, solutions. You know, the enterprise is looking for buying signals uh, by analyzing the social analytics and then they're leveraging integrated marketing automation technologies to, for example, nurture sales leads and so on and so forth. If student acquisition and retention is top of mind in universities and colleges, do you see universities expanding their social listening and analysis capabilities with social CRM technology whereby they can identify in an automatic fashion you know the signals that say students uh, are, are potentially struggling in courses or or, or or potentially not able to complete their undergraduate graduate curriculum uh, similar as in, in terms of how the enterprise proactively looks at the market and then course corrects to grow revenue absolutely Stephen you want to speak to that that's the hard question, right? Where does it? Where does this stuff actually meet the road in terms of providing, you know, really fundamental business benefits, yeah. the kind of benefits that your CFO says, this is great. Right. You guys should be investing more time and more money in this. I mean, if a student in any of your three campuses today went on Facebook and said, "I'm about to quit. I'm struggling with history," right? How quickly can your administration, your well, faculty? recognize that there's a signal and a student that's in trouble. I think, well, I can, I can, well, I'm not really in, responsible for the looking at, the, I, I'm responsible to, to have that, that platform and the ability for them to see that, but it's different parts of the organization that actually in, in, intervene and do listen to that, that metric. We listen to them complain about our network. If we have a problem with wireless in the dorms, believe in the first place I'm going to hear about it's on Twitter. And that's, you know, instantly they're reaching back out and like, hey, what's wrong? I mean, that's, that's we, again, we're going to communi communicate with them where they live. And it, it, so it, really, it really does work. So you have a pre-help desk help desk. Well, and it's, it's just Twitter. Yeah, I, have, I have, well, yeah, I do. And it's not something we formally put out there. I have my network admins are on here with me. And we just, you know, with, with our, even with our devices through Isaac, it's, it's all, all of us communicating together. The more, the better. And if we are all visible and transparent, we actually can affect uh, you know everything positively. I think so. But this is you know, but this is in public. So if your uh, network goes down, yeah. I, hey, again, it's the it's the the pass and fail sometimes. Sometimes we we do, and it's it's uh, luckily. I mean, we do have a really robust network here, and it's uh, 
uh, that doesn't happen all that often. It actually doesn't happen. It hasn't happened this semester. So. <laughs> So, 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 so it's fair to say that part of embracing social networks is to improve the uh, execution velocity of IT, yeah. whereby before you get that help desk call, you have a sense that there's something that needs to be actioned with, with your team. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. But I'm not even sure what execution velocity even means, Vala. <laughs> the bottom line is if the internet goes done. down, everything goes down. At least that's the way it feels these days. Right. Right. Uh, we really we we knew that we changed well, the culture here whenever Google went down for 22 minutes, like about I don't know, when when the ha when 40 percent of the internet traffic went away for 20 minutes. How many months ago? Right. It was amazing to hear how many people complained that their email didn't work. I mean, so Kelly. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Kelly. So, what is ex execution velocity? I want to I want to explore this for a moment. What does execution velocity mean in your environment? But you you got to react quick. You got to be paying attention. You got to be paying attention um, to what matters the most. What's going to have the biggest impact? Uh, you know, fortunately, if you're proactive enough, you're not running around putting out too many fires. But things are going to go wrong, and you certainly can't control when the local provider is going to go down. Uh, and you know uh, maybe your backups taking a while to come up or whatever the case is. So you just you have to be paying attention. And social media is a great way to just provide additional channels for that input to come in. That hey something's going on we need to pay attention to. And you need to be ready to react fast and move priorities sometimes when you have to re you know go after something that you realize hey this is has bigger implications. Let's go fix this. And 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 Steve in your environment let's actually sort of hit this execution velocity question from a slightly different angle. Taking a step up from social media, what is the role of IT in helping the institution as a whole raise its execution velocity? I'm still not sure exactly what execution velocity is, but in this context, we'll, take that let's off go. we'll have a session after. We'll have a, okay, <laughs> yes, we'll... <laughs> it's how fast can you get it done? Right. So, so, Steve, but Steve, take give us the larger picture at the institution level and the relation with IT in regard to this. Yeah, and I, I was in a session this morning with Paul LeBlanc, who's the president of um, um, Southern New Hampshire University. Which oh, he's is, uh, great. Yeah, yeah. And, and and we spoke about this. He was actually speaking as a guest to a small group of CIOs and aspiring CIOs uh, in, within Educause. It's called the Hawkins Leadership Roundtable. So we had a sort of a very private time with him, and we were talking about the role of the CIO, and it was the point was made that the CIO, among all the C-level um, individuals within a college, we don't call them chiefs of you know, most things, it's vice presidents of one thing or another, but those of us of, of within the leadership roles, the CIO touches more operational aspects of that institution, of that organization, than any one other person, including the president. So we have an understanding of financial aid. We have an understanding of the cashier's office. Um, we have an understanding of institutional research and how data is manipulated and managed and maintained. So we have the we really have the greatest breadth of knowledge and understanding and insight into how the college operates from a business process uh, model than anyone else. So we have the greatest opportunity to influence that positively by leveraging technologies of one sort, form, or another. So if you're talking about um, you know. Um, you know, velocity, to me, that's just being in the cloud. Because if something goes down on our campus, as long as you can get to a cellular tower or some other form of internet access, you can get to a service that we're offering. So we actually have that baked into our business continuity plan. 
So, you know, I think that's the higher level perspective that we have that great ability and that insight of what everyone else is doing. So we can, when we're sitting around the table and somebody raises a question or an issue or they state a problem, we can connect the dots better than anybody else. Sure. So we have three brilliant CIOs giving us concrete examples of the power of collaboration in terms of not only improving the perception of IT, but improving the user experience, user being customers, faculty, administration. I'm wondering, the three uh, colleges, universities represented here, uh, how, many have, how many of you have undergraduate social media, social business curriculum, or graduate level classes that you offer today? I'll go first. We, I don't think we have any right now. Well, that's a that's a great a great point. And I think that I was in I was just talking to our chief our our, our marketing director of marketing before this before the session, and we were talking about the marketing cloud, Salesforce, and some of the things we're gonna we're about to do. And she was, you know, I asked her why aren't why aren't you teaching a class yet? She's 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 brought into marketing classes to right. actually talk through some very you know some key points in the industry now, but. No right. formal class around it yet. That's a really good point. Though. How about you guys? Do you, Stephen? Or I think Alex? I think, and I don't want. To, I'm going to oversimplify this, but we don't have a class teaching fish how to swim in water. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's actually really good. I understand from a business point of view, like in Terraces, sure, um, that, that you have some formal aspects of how you construct marketing conversations, what your message huh. points are, and then you want to build that into how you then utilize social media. So we do not have any classes on campus. I wanted to start one, actually, mm. but the pain that's required to build a curriculum is right. more than I want to endure right now. So you're looking at the academic world. It can take you, by the time you build the course syllabus, build the course curriculum, get it approved by the faculty senate, and, and move on, it could be 12 months or 18 months before the first course is put into the course catalog so students can okay. select it. And in this world, as you all know, Sure. That's old data. That's old processes. So, sure. um, and, and I'm not saying that's not a bad thing because the rigors of, of academia are good because it keeps everything at a level playing field. It makes sure the quality standards are there for the students, but it just takes a long time. It's a slow-moving right. ship. Right. So yeah. we don't do that, but I, I really believe that you know, fish know how to swim when they when they're you know when they get the water. We don't have to teach them. And I think if we pay attention to 17 and 18 year olds. They're really tuned in, especially the good ones. Now, what we do do is we have social media ambassadors that are students. We've given them um, smartphones, um, and they wander around, and they're, they're, they're brought into, when they go through a training process that's managed by our PR and marketing division, sure. so the students are off, and they're posting on our behalf. So Cecil, hashtag Cecil College Life is what we use. Uh, um, and then the students post photographs to Instagram, they're very active, and it really has blossomed. We just started it this past fall, and that's really blossomed for the, to help the college communicate with students and, and interact with their peers on our behalf. Um, but in terms of actual courses, no. Okay. Well, I, I, well, I would add that uh, we recently brought on a social media marketing specialist, and as we were looking at that, and, and we've been having dialogue from time to time. Uh, I sit on cabinet and we talk about new programs and where we're going, and there are cert uh, certificates in social media being developed out there and programs being developed and offered. Um, mm -hmm. We do consider it, but it is, it's hard and it's very, um, you know, young and immature, this concept of getting people who are technically trained in social media and uh, from a marketing perspective, because that's really where the you know, jobs in social media are, are there. They're in marketing. 
Um, but it's uh, it's young and it's up and coming. I have a question about mobile. Uh, the other day at, at Educause, I moderated a panel with literally seven CIOs. <laughs> and so one of the questions that I asked was, what are you doing with mobile at your institution? And do you subscribe? You know, people talk about this mobile first. And, and, I, and I said, so who's, who has mobile first or mobile only with their app development, application development? And all of them raised their hand. And they said, oh, yes, that's the way we are. And I said, I'm skeptical. You know, I think you guys are lying to me. <laughs> and they. <laughs> not us. No, yeah, never. Yeah, yeah, right. It's like everybody's innocent, not me. <laughs> but seriously, uh, but they pushed back hard. They said, you know what? Students want mobile, and that's what we do. So what, is, what are you guys finding as far as uh, mobile versus desktop development? Uh, the truth, we the truth, the truth no. now. <laughs> the truth? There, there is no desktop development. I mean, it's everything that we deliver is through our portal, and it's all mobily focused. Everything is. It's uh, that's that's that is the state of the world, not just this campus. So it's. I think we just extend it or enhance, um, um, really leverage it at every 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 aspect of our of our development process. So Phil, you're not saying mobile first. You're saying mobile only. Right. Oh, absolutely mobile only. There's no. Absolutely. I mean, we can make. I can. I can make everything translate back to a desktop. But it's going to work first on a mobile device. Yeah, anything new you're going to do, you're going to want to do in a, in a that's you know browser supported. Right. From day one. Yeah. I will say. I will say that I have questioned the mobile only concept. While I embrace the notion from a from an um, an ADA compliance issue, it will sure. be difficult to truly do that part. Mm -hmm. But mobile first, absolutely, we're all on board with that. So our students, yeah. we use uh, Blackboard Learn, and so that we encourage our students to. Uh, use Blackboard Mobile Learn, which is a robust, fully transactional product. It's it's in their smartphones, it's in their iPads, it's in their Androids. Um, we have um, our student portal is now mobile, so they can anything that they would do sitting in a desktop, going to their portal, whether it's looking for courses, registering for courses, checking their grades, requesting a transcript, all those kinds of student activities, they now do it mobile, um, off of their phones or their iPads. So we are mobile first. Any new initiative has to have two components to it. It has to have mobile. And it has to, the, the vendor has to support the service with a cloud-hosted solution. Hmm. All right. Well, it's almost now, about being device agnostic or device independent as much as it is being mobile. Yes. Right. Right. That so, so Kelly, uh, I'm taking from your comments that you're on board with these sentiments as well. Oh, absolutely. We um, in the strategic plan that we're uh, implementing right now. I did a strategic technology plan last year, looking out three years. Mobile is a key theme, so we have lots of initiatives going on. Uh, some of it focused first on really working to get uh, faculty across the board, especially adjunct faculty, to fully embrace Moodle and leverage it. And as we move to newer versions of Moodle, uh, we got much better mobile functionality out of it. Um, but we're doing a lot of different things. And one of the most uh, exciting things that's really taken off is we've leveraged uh, a voice um, voice conferencing solution that everybody's just uh, yammering for, and it's the, the, the volume of minutes going across this thing. It's a tool called Zoom, um, high definition, uh, real easy, friendly, device agnostic, essentially vo video conferencing. And from staff to faculty, everybody wants a piece of it, and faculty's getting pretty creative about using it. Um, so that brings a lot of these, you know, the mobile aspects in. And there's just so many ways that 
again, whatever you do, anything new you want to do and every new step you take, you want to be more uh, readily accessible through uh, mobile platforms and whatever kind of connection people are going to have. Mm. And I think there's, we, we can talk about mobile first, but I think there's a couple pieces we all have to pay attention to, especially the CIOs. One is, do you, do you truly have a culture of mobile on your campus? So, you know, you listen to the three of us and somebody back sitting watching is going to go, oh, let's go do mobile first. Well, if you don't have that culture on your campus, you're going to run into a wall a lot. But then the other part is you have to have an incredibly robust and agile and highly available Wi-Fi network, mm -hmm. including cellular service. Students don't care where they're getting their data from these days, but I certainly say that you need to have a really good, strong, robust, nimble, expandable, scalable Wi-Fi environment to support Absolutely. this. Somewhere in the order of five to one density ratio. This is a great, five great comments as we unbelievable go towards ending the show. <laughs> we need to like have a phase two of this session. Uh, do you guys work with startups? I'm curious because I read a lot about how startups are really flourishing and growing in terms of potential to disrupt education. It's all in the context of e-learning, or most of it is, but if you do work with startups, what advice do you have in terms of how they can better uh, collaborate with institutions such as yourself? And I'll start with you, Phil. And keep uh, it quick because we're running out of time. Okay, I would really give the advice to the administration more than, than the, the, the startups to really look at it. Usually, you know, um, universities want to see these very, uh, you know, old, not old, but, you know, in-place systems that want to, you want to deal with them. You don't want to look at a brand new LMS startup to, to really understand their, their, their culture. But if we're, we're, we are a cloud culture, we're a mobile culture here at Seton Hill, and that's true. I totally, with you, Stephen, I totally believe, I, I, I agree with you. You have to be able to accept it. And luckily enough here, we, I think we put our network in place and made that foundation layer so strong, we were able to have that, 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 uh, that communicate that out to our, our, our constituency and, and really leverage that, that layer. So that's, it, it's, uh, it's definitely the key to our success here at Seton Hill, for sure. And Steve, do you work yeah. with startups? And if you do, yeah, I'm very involved in the ed tech startup and the tech startup community in Philadelphia. Um, and I tell startups, and typically we're talking about kids out that are in Wharton, you know, Wharton School at mm. Penn, Pennsylvania University. Yeah. Um, I tell them to sit with their their target student population. Don't sell it to me. Don't show me. Don't take <laughs> it to the venture capital funders yet. Right. Go sit and make sure you have a baked product that the students want to use. Because I suggest that you, the way you sell your product is to get the students engaged so they tell their faculty, say, hey, we want to use this. So I'm working with a company called FastFig, which is a word processor for math, um, which is really fascinating concept. So that's, I tell them, work with students, your target student population, and really make sure you have a good, solid, well-baked product before you try and get it out there and float it out to the funding sources or even try and sell it. It kind of echoes the consumerization of IT, the idea that you know yeah. we're responding to the fact that a lot of people are bringing tools in, they're using at home and saying, I want to use this here, and right, right. sometimes it can make sense. Absolutely. So having an open mind and, and, and embracing uh, innovation, that's, that's fantastic. Michael, I'm looking at it's 40, 46 minutes after the start. Yeah, this has very, been very quick. It's, and I'm look, there's a half a dozen questions that we need to answer. I know, I know, I know. So what is the key thing that you take away from this today? What strikes you, Boa? I think that uh, to be successful, regardless of your title or function, you have to first be interested. And I get a sense from these three um, 
brilliant CIOs that the reason that they're social and collaborative is because they're truly interested in their in the students, the faculty, administration, and uh, and that's my takeaway. Yeah, you know, I totally agree because I think I mean we both you you and I we both meet many CIOs, mm -hmm. and and it and it gets me thinking what's the difference between uh, sort of an an average CIO and it's it's a very very tough job so. Right. I don't know if you can say there are any average CIOs, but there are some who stand out. And I think that the big difference is the passion for right. the work, the passion for the for the result. That it's not just right. uh, an academic exercise, no pun intended, yeah. but they really feel it. They believe it. Right. They they're on a mission. We I think that's you. we give it. I just read a book on the way out there from Alexi Ohanian from uh, from Reddit without any permission, without their permission, and he speaks about giving a damn. That's really you got to give a damn about what you're doing. That's that's that. And I really, those are the people that have succeeded under with me here at Seton Hill. They really care about not just IT and what we do here, but this entire student perspective of how how they interact here at Seton Hill. And that's that's it's and refreshing that to do difference. that. It does. So. Uh, so Kelly and Steve, you each get 30 seconds. Uh, any closing thoughts, Kelly? Let's go with you. Well, you know, you, you got to like I said, you, you, you got to love it. You got and you got to keep learning. You just never stop learning if you're going to oh, be yeah. in this field. But it's exciting and it kind of makes you feel. I don't know if young is the word. Um, also, feel pretty burnt out at the end of the day. But uh, <laughs> it's just it's and it's never been easier to to learn new things. So it's an exciting field to be in. And when you love it, and you want to bring a lot to it. And you've got so many ways to communicate. It's just a great thing to be doing, and a lot of fun. And Steve, uh, 30 seconds, and and don't apologize for not bringing your Google Glass. That's okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm next to me, but they're charging at the moment. Um, so I, I'll borrow from Hunter S. Thompson, the, the famous Gonzo author: uh, "Faster, faster, until the thrill of speed overcomes the fear of death." <laughs> faster, oh, faster, oh, that's a faster, 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 until the thrill of speed overcomes. The fear of death. Love it. That's what we do every day in technology. <laughs> and on that upbeat well note, said. <laughs> it's time to end this episode of CXO Talk. And I would very much like to thank our three guests today, uh, Phil Kamarni, who is the CIO of Seton Hill University, Stephen D. Filippo, who is the CIO of Cecil College, they are. and the <laughs> Google Glass bearing, uh, actually the Google Glass bearing Stephen DiFilippo, and Kelly Walsh, who is the CIO of College of uh, Westchester. Thank Gentlemen, you. thank you so much for joining Thanks, us. Thank you very much. Zavala, as always, Michael, is a pleasure. Ouch. And I, ouch. And I hope everybody <laughs> will come back and join us next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, sir. Bye -bye. Thanks.